Um, as Robert asked me to preach several weeks ago, and I began to pray about um, what God was calling me to, uh, to, to bring this morning, and uh, I had the pleasure of putting my son to bed every night, and I have to look at it like a pleasure, otherwise it'll drive me nuts, right? Nobody else has been there? It's like, okay, perfect, we got one person over here that's been there. Um, but, you know, when you put your child to bed, you have this picturesque thing that you think is supposed to happen and like this wonderful bonding time and it doesn't involve screaming and throwing toys and that sort of thing. So we have, as most parents do, we have a process, right? A process of getting our children ready for bed, like it's going to sneak up on them every time, every night. And so um, in that process, uh, we do a bath and, and we, we uh, you know, we put on his pajamas and we we read and uh, and we, I get the we have a little kind of a toddler Bible that we read and and as I was reading through this one night one of, this one story came up that I realized I hadn't heard in a long time and so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning Luke five uh, but in this story we have the picture of uh, of Jesus and we have the picture of a group of friends and the the reoccurring theme at least to me in this group in this uh, this short little passage we're going to read is this idea of passion, this idea of being driven. And so I began to research and just kind of uh, do some Google searches on what it, what it means to be a passionate person, a person of passion. And I found page upon page upon page of people and blog posts and forums and all these different situations of people searching for what they're passionate about. Have you been through that? You remember right after college, you're thinking, what am I going to do? Right after, maybe you, went, maybe you went right into the workforce after high school, and you're thinking, what am I going to do? What am I passionate about? We've all kind of been there. What can I wake up every morning? We, we want that job that's really not a job, right? We, we, can, we can go to work and get paid to play. Um, does anybody have that job? I want to talk to you this morning. No, all right. So, um, but, uh, but, the, but, you know, you search for your passion. You want to be passionate about something. And so in that search, I found seven characteristics of passionate people. And I think this, this ties in very well to our faith as well. Uh, number one, passionate people always aim for something. They always have something to focus on, something that, that's their goal. Passionate people maintain their course. They're not easily distracted. They're not easily turned off course. They've got their, they've got their goal, and they're, they're going for it. They're not deterred. Uh, passionate people redefine the word persistent. Persistent. There's nothing that's going to get in their way. There's nothing that's going to get them, get them off course. Uh, passionate people have a game plan. They know how they're going to get to that goal. They know how they're going to reach it. It's not just happenstance. It's not just, oh, I just happened to uh, be in this situation. They know what they're going to do uh, to get there, what they need to do uh, to get there. Passionate people take advantage of opportunities. See, they're so focused on what they want, on what uh, maybe for us, what God has called us to do, that when things come up in life, they take advantage of the opportunity to further them, themselves towards the goal. So they take advantage of opportunities. Passionate people have teachable spirits. Um, and maybe you've been there. Have you ever run into just a passionate person and it seems like they know everything about whatever they're passionate about? You ever run into a passionate South Carolina fan? Right? They're kind of annoying, aren't they? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, but, but when you run into passionate South Carolina fans, what happens? They know all the players. They know like half of the coaching staff, right? They know all the stats. They know everything there is to know about the team because they're passionate about the team, right? You've met those people. Uh, those people uh, are just, 
They, they know everything. But, but here, this is talking about passionate people have a teachable spirit. They know that they don't know everything about it. Right? If you're passionate, I'm looking at Chris Collins down here. If you're passionate about building, Chris knows that he doesn't know everything there is about building. Right? He brings in contractors for, for plumbing and for other, other sorts of things to come and undergird his, his role as a builder, right? as a contractor. And so these, these people, these passionate people are, have a teachable spirit. And then finally, passionate people do things that ordinary people couldn't do. Passionate people do things that ordinary people couldn't do. And, and I really kind of feel like that relates mostly to us this morning. That passionate people do things that ordinary people could not do. Because see, this morning, I firmly believe that God has called all of his sons and his daughters, that he has saved into the family of God. He has called us, young and old, to be passionate people. You see, he's given us a focus. And that focus is to make disciples. That focus is to share his love and his mercy and his grace with the lost world around us, wherever we find ourselves, whether we're in school, whether we're in the workplace, wherever we find ourselves, maybe even retired, wherever, whatever surroundings you find yourself in, God has called us to specifically share his love and his mercy and his grace with those people. But not only that, he's left us the power of his Holy Spirit, right? When he left, he said, somebody is coming that is greater than I, and we know that when we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells within us, and that Holy Spirit empowers us. It helps us stay the course, it helps us with our persistence. It helps us with our game plan, which, by the way, he gave us as well. He said, go, make disciples. Make disciples by baptizing them into the body of Christ, bringing them into the fold with your other brothers and sisters, and teaching them to obey everything that I've told you. And the glorious thing about that is that as I go and I make disciples and I incorporate them into the church and I baptize them into the church and I teach them to obey then that person does the same thing and then that person does the same thing and then that person does the same thing. And it's this multiplication effect that as we are obeying, we are continuing down that same game plan that God has given us. So this morning, I do contend that God has called each one of us in our own ways to be people of passion. Luke five fifteen, of course, it starts off with Jesus, which I think is always a great place to start, right? Especially if you're preaching a sermon. And so, um, but Jesus is... Uh, has just, um, well, he's gone through the temptation in the wilderness, right? He's just kind of beginning his ministry. He's been rejected in Nazareth, right? He went home and his own people rejected him, thought he was, thought he was uh, talking crazy. Uh, he begins casting out demons and healing people on the way. And then he ultimately uh, finds himself in front of a big crowd, right? He, casts, he takes Simon Peter's boat. They go off the coast, uh, just offshore, and he teaches to the crowd. And then he turns to Simon Peter and says, hey, let's go fishing. And if you remember, remember the story, Simon Peter says, hey, I've already cleaned up everything. We've been fishing all night. Like this is, okay, fine, we'll go. So they go. And of course, you know the story. The nets are breaking as they bring in the fish. They fill up all the boats. And, uh, and ultimately, Simon Peter, James, and John uh, join uh, Jesus as his first disciples being called. Right before this, Jesus heals a man with leprosy and asks him, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just go to the church. Go to the synagogue. See the priests and be cleansed, be ceremoniously cleansed in the Jewish culture. But don't tell anybody what happens. And so 15, we pick up chapter 5, verse 15. It says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. 
But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and from Jerusalem were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I want to start this morning with our first point of passionate prayer. We pick up with Jesus. He, he is surrounded by crowds everywhere he goes. You can imagine. I mean, if, you're, if you hear of somebody that everywhere they go, they're healing, they're healing people and they're casting out demons. The crowds are probably massive. He's surrounded by crowds. And I love in verse 15, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So here we have the Son of God, God in flesh, right? The perfect man God, Jesus Christ, still has a need, and it's actually recorded 25 specific times that he prays to his Father in heaven. So this perfect God in human form still has a desperate desire and need to connect with his heavenly father. And here's, here's, here's my concern with us this morning, is that so many times we know the power of prayer, right? We've all seen the power of prayer in our lives, whether it was praying for a family member, whether it was praying for some, a loved one, whatever it is, we've seen the power of prayer in our lives. But so many times we overlook prayer when difficulty comes and we underestimate the power. Have you ever heard, hey, you know what? You've got to do something more than just pray about it. I've heard that a hundred times. I mean, you, like there's got to be action. And sure, there has to be action. But I can tell you, action without prayer is fruitless, right? Action without that prayer behind it is fruitless. And so this morning, I just want to give us a practical, um, a practical guide. It's not anything that I've created. It's, it's pretty, uh, I think it's been around for years but, uh, but I, I just kind of stumbled upon it the last several weeks, and, I, and I, really, I really love how it helps us move through prayer. And so it's the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S. You can see it on the screen. It's also in the back of your bulletins if you want to uh, fill in the blanks there. The A stands for adoration. So as we're praying, this, we start with adoration. We praise God for who he is, his character, and his attributes. The beautiful thing about this is you think God needs to be reminded who he is? That this is how you say no, right? God, God doesn't need to be reminded of who he is. But as we stand before him or kneel before him or lay in our beds and pray at night or in the morning and we remind ourselves of who God is, there's power in that, right? When I, when I stand before God in, in prayer and I confess that God is the almighty God, that God knows everything about me, that God loves me. When I start confessing that, realizing that I am standing in the presence of the creator God, 
and talking to him like I would my brother or my sister, my mom or my dad. There's power in that. So that that adoration, that time where we just praise God for who he is, leads then to the C, which is confession. And confession is simply saying, God, you know what? This sin in my life, this this disobedience in my life, it is sin. It causes me to turn from you. It causes me to get distracted from my pursuit of you. And God, it it is what it is. It's sin. And so confession is simply agreeing with God about specific sin in your life. I, I want to challenge you if, you, if you, if you use these acronyms in a journal, get specific, be specific. Don't, like I, growing up, I always said, well, dear Lord, please forgive me of my sins, amen. It's just a, just a blanket thing and everything's taken care of and I'm good and I can go back out and, and, and you know, tomorrow night I'll pray the same thing and it'll cover everything that I did. You know, instead of saying, God, lay on my heart what drew my heart away from you today. Lay on my heart where I chose my way over your way. So we confess that. Then the, the, the T is thanksgiving. Thanking God for how he has worked in your life and in the life of others. This is, uh, this is again, just, uh, just going before him in humility and thanking him for being such a wonderful, wonderful provider. And then S is supplication. So once we've reminded ourselves and we've praised God for who he is, we've confessed our sins, we've humbled ourselves before him and thanked him for everything that he's done for us and for others and through others, we then humbly approach the throne and ask for what we need. And, and, I, and I love, I, 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 wanna, I really do want to challenge you to put this to the test. It's very simple, but put it to the test and see how God begins to change your heart. See how God begins to change your focus. When you get to that supplication, uh, this is what I found out in my own life. When I get to that supplication where I can actually, where I'm asking God for things, God, give me such and such. God, give me such and such. My perspective has totally changed. And generally, what I was going to pray for when I first started isn't what I end up praying for because God is molding my heart and changing my heart and my mind. So put that to the test. But we are called to be people of passionate prayer. We are also called to be people of, pa- of a passionate pursuit. I want us to look in, uh, in, in verses 18 and 19 and look at the friends. And we don't know, some, uh, we don't know in this passage uh, how many friends there are, but we can, we can assume that there's at least four, right? Because they let down a mat. I would think that they all had to have to take a corner and let the mat down with their friend on it. There's at least four friends with their paralyzed friends, so five people all together. But look at these Look at these guys. They will stop at nothing. They carry their friend to see Jesus. They can't get through the crowds. They try, they can't get through the crowds. And so instead of just giving up, instead of just saying, oh, well, you know, we'll catch him later. You know, maybe he'll come back through, you know, whatever the case is. Instead of giving up, they say, you know what, let's, let's take him up on the roof. I don't know, have you ever moved a paralyzed person to the roof? I mean, I, I, I haven't. I would imagine it's difficult. These guys take their friend up on the roof. Not only do they take him up on the roof, but they dig through the roof. They remove the ceiling of the roof tiles, and they lower their friend through the hole down right smack in front of Jesus. You've got to remember, Jesus is teaching at the time. He's teaching to a big crowd. The house is full. Nobody, you know, standing room only. And all of a sudden, a man just starts being lowered from the ceiling with his friends lowering him down. These men would stop at nothing to get their friend in front of Jesus. See, because their reality was their friend, 
especially in this day in this day and age, their friend was not whole. He couldn't do. He couldn't walk. Whatever his par- however he was paralyzed, to say he can't walk. He could not walk. And they knew that the only hope for their friend walking again was to get him in front of Jesus and for Jesus to heal him. They knew that, so they would stop at nothing to get him in front of Jesus, to experience that healing hand of Jesus. And I want to ask just a just an honest question. This is. This is a question that I ask that I have to ask myself as I ask you. Are we in such a passionate pursuit of Christ that we will stop at nothing to experience him? That we will stop at nothing to experience his forgiveness, his reconciliation, his life. Are are we there? Are you there in your own life? Am I there in my life that I will stop at nothing to see the face of of Christ and be united with God himself through the sacrifice of Christ? Are we in that passionate pursuit? One of the best ways I know, coupled with prayer, to pursue God and to pursue Christ is through his word, his, his revelation of his word to us. And so this morning, again, I want to give you a practical guide to scripture reading. Um, and it's not something I made up. This doesn't come from my genius mind. So um, it's SOAP, S-O-A-P, S-O-A-P. S stands for scripture. I want to challenge you, if you're not journaling, uh, to start journaling with your quiet times. It makes a huge, it's just awesome to be able to look back. Anybody done that? You look back in your journal and you see God's answered prayer and you see God's hand and you think, good grief, I don't even remember that. But I do remember how God came through on that. So start journaling and, and, and use this. S stands for scripture. Is simply writing down the verse reference is what the author uh, talks about. But I want to challenge you to write down the actual verse. Write down the actual verse. If it's, you know, if it's a passage, write it all down. Write down the scripture reference. Observation is O. That's simply saying, what is this passage saying? Not necessarily, what is it saying to me? Don't, don't narrow it down just yet. But what is this passage saying? Who's talking? Who are they talking to? What's going on? That may require you to read a couple verses before, a couple verses after, but figure out what's going on. What's, what does it say, and what's the overall concept of what's being said? The A in SOAP is application. This is where you narrow it down to yourself. Based on what the Scripture says, what do we need to do with it? What do I need to do with it on, a, on Monday morning when, I, when I'm back in school, I'm back at the office, I'm wherever I find myself on Monday morning? How can I practically apply the scripture to my life? So application. And then, of course, if you see a P on any acronym anywhere in a church world, Christian world, it stands for prayer. So uh, prayer based on your application, based on what you're going to do to apply that scripture to your life, what do you need help with from God? What do you need God to do for you to help you apply that? Our final point this morning is passionate faith. Because here's the reality. If we don't have a faith in Jesus Christ, there, will, there is no passionate pursuit. There's no reason for a passionate pursuit. We don't believe in it. There is no passionate prayer. We don't believe in God. If we don't have a faith that Jesus Christ can unite us with the Heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ died and rose again to forgive us of our sins, why would we pursue him? Why would we pursue God? 
And so this morning, I simply want to encourage you, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your, what we call, in church world, we call it Lord and Savior. If you are here and you haven't made Christ Lord and Savior of your life, which is basically saying he sits on the throne of my life and he governs everything that I do. And the reason he sits on the throne of my life is because I believe that Christ died for me, for my sins. He died in the place and took the punishment that I should have taken. Not only did he die and was buried, but he rose three days later, signifying that he had victory over sin and victory over death. And that process alone opens the gates of heaven for me to get in. Otherwise, there is no hope. There is no hope if without Christ. Just like these men realized that there was no hope for their friend without the healing hand of Christ, we need to this morning realize that without Christ and his forgiveness, his reconciliation and the life that he gives, there is no hope to connect with the creator God. Our sin, our choosing our own way gets in the way every single time. There's nothing that we can do about it. So this morning, if you haven't made that confession of faith, if you haven't recognized that Jesus actually did that for you, for you individually, that he loves you as a person, that old phrase, he loves you where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Jesus is a personal, God is a personal God who loves you right where you're at. I want to encourage you as we head into a decision time to join me down front so that we can celebrate that faith, that newfound faith. Maybe this morning you're just sitting here and you know, you're saying, you know what, I don't live a life of passion. There's, there's no victory in my life. There's no drivenness and focus in my life. Maybe this morning is just a time that either in your pews or you can come to the, to the altar down here that you just need to get before God and say, God, I am so sorry. I am, I am not pursuing you at all. You gave your son for me, and I just, I believe it, but I don't, I don't follow you at all. I'm not trying to shoot for that goal that you've set before me in the least. And maybe you want to join us as a church family, join our church family. I can tell you after being here for a whole seven months, this is the sweetest church you're going to find around. And we would love to have you join us as a church member Whatever your decision is, we're going to head into this time of of decision. I want you to prepare your hearts, and I want us to move forward as a passionate people called by God to share his love and his mercy and his grace with the community that he's placed us in. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we do thank you that, Lord, you are a passionate God that first and foremost pursued us with passion, pursued us with the sacrifice of your own son. Lord, that at this very moment that those of us that believe that he died for us can literally stand in the throne room of God covered in the righteousness of Christ. Lord, we thank you for that reality. Lord, we thank you that that reality also makes us brothers and sisters in Christ, that we are now sitting with our extended family here in the sanctuary. Lord, I pray that you would call to us, that you would set a burden on our hearts, Lord, to be people of passion, to move towards the goal that you've set for us. Lord, continue to cultivate our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.